But will the Pac-12 make a team, put a team in the playoff this year? If I had to bet right now, $100, I would bet no, as opposed to yes. Hello and welcome in. Today is Wednesday, March 29th, and we hope that you're having a terrific day. So much that we need to get to. We have been in deep, deep in the mix as it relates to spring previews, going through team by team, hitting so many different teams, every angle, every storyline, things that you're thinking about, maybe one big storyline for a few. Yeah, we're dialed in right now, man. Setting the table for the spring season because here at Always College Football, football season never ends, man. We just go from one season to the next and it continues today. Wisconsin, Maryland, Oregon, UCLA, Minnesota, Michigan State, all those teams get previewed today on Always College Football. Mark Kubiak's here. Jack Foster's here. I'm Greg McElroy. We have a lot that we need to get to. We're also going to dive into the mailbag, and we're going to tell you about a coach who just received a new four-year deal that should keep him locked down for at least, I don't know, another nine, ten months. So exciting stuff to come here on a Wednesday edition of Always College Football. Let's not waste any time. Let's talk about one of the biggest transformations of the offseason. It's in Madison, Wisconsin. Just getting underway in Madison, Wisconsin. The Badgers have officially taken the field for spring football. And this will be, I'm not necessarily breaking any news, it's going to be a new-look Badger team, man. I'm fired up about it, too. You look at the quarterback situation. You look at the head coach, the offensive coordinator. It's not going to be what it's been for a while. Look, Luke Fickle has proven the ability to do this at a remarkably high level. There were question marks about whether or not he could get it done when he was the interim coach at Ohio State. He takes the job at Cincinnati, and look what he's done. Just, you know, 57-18. and 18, a playoff berth over the course of six seasons, putting multiple guys that were under-recruited into the NFL. So he has documented proof that he can not only coach his players to a high level, but he can develop them and he can essentially turn diamonds in the rough into NFL prospects. And in some cases, NFL rookies of the year, a la Sauce Gardner, who was drafted fourth overall to the New York Jets. Very exciting time in Madison, Wisconsin. Why? Because they've completely gone away from what got them to where they're at. And I think that that's actually kind of exciting. A lot of people sitting there saying, man, why would you get away from what's always worked? Because what always worked doesn't work anymore in college football. Traditional 23 personnel, 21 personnel, two backs, three tight ends, 13 personnel, one back, three tight ends, just running the football vertical. It doesn't work the way it used to. Now, look, Wisconsin's run game's not going anywhere. It's always going to be a, an effective and efficient run game. But you know what the hardest thing is to do in the Big Ten? Run the football. Why? Because those teams pride themselves. And if you look at it, statistically speaking, look at Big Ten run defenses against the other conferences. They are by far and away the best and have been for as long as I can remember. Now, maybe the SEC in some years, the gap isn't as wide. Big 10 over the course of a 10-year period has been the best teams against the run collectively in college football. So why would you not try to evolve? Why would you not try to adapt? 
Phil Longo is the most important piece of this puzzle. He's the offensive coordinator. And with Phil Longo comes a history of having put up gaudy stats at the quarterback spot. So as a result, what happened? When Phil Longo got named the offensive coordinator for Luke Fickle, guess what? Not one, not two, but a handful of different quarterbacks decided to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go become a Badger. Tanner Mordecai leaves what was a great situation as, at SMU where he threw for a million yards. He's now going to likely be the starter, but at this point, not necessarily a foregone conclusion, but he's likely to be the starter day one, given the fact that Graham Mertz has departed the program. He's going to be going up against Nick Evers, who is a highly regarded prospect coming out of Oklahoma, up against Braden Locke, who was at Mississippi State, to join what should be a really deep quarterback room trying to split the reps evenly will be difficult, but look at what Phil Longo did last year. Look at what he did at North Carolina. Go look at Drake May and look at the numbers and all the things that Drake May did under Phil Longo's leadership. Look at what he did prior to that at Ole Miss. Look at the gaudy stats that he put up in the passing game, but prior to that, go look at what he did when he was in the FCS. Look at how he ran the football. Phil Longo's a guy that, yeah, he can spread you out vertically. He can spread you out horizontally. He can run tempo. He can play ball control. But he's going to find a way to move the football. He's going to find a way to get the points. So I think it's a great hire, and I'm excited to see exactly how it goes down for the Badgers and what this offense might look like with all the new additions that they've added through the transfer portal. Moving next to the Maryland Terrapins. Keeping it in the Big Ten should be an exciting season for the Terps. Why? Because Talia Tungabaloa is back. And he's back for his final year, which means you have a real chance of improving off that 8-5 and five season from a year ago. He finished the season last year with over 3,000 passing yards, 18 touchdowns against just 8 interceptions. But he also showcased some of that mobility as well. He added 4 rushing touchdowns. Now, it will be difficult to replace some of the personnel on the perimeter. Rock Jarrett was a real deal. Jacob Copeland, very reliable. You also lose tight end C.J. Dupree to Alabama via the transfer portal. He was an ex really an excellent tight end. Therefore, Maryland that I think was somewhat underutilized. So it was kind of to be expected that maybe he would be, I guess, pursuing greener pastures. Either way, you bring in a new offensive coordinator, a guy that is familiar with the Big Ten, a guy that has had a ton of success in the Big Ten, he was, I don't know, the assistant coach of the year in the Big Ten just a couple years ago. Yes, it did not work out at Miami, but Josh Gaddis is back in the conference in which he played, or in, excuse me, back in the conference in which he really helped kind of bring Michigan's offense into the forefront and kind of watched them evolve under his leadership. So I'm very excited to see what he does with Maryland's offense. Here's the thing about Maryland, though. This is a group that will always have great athleticism. They will always do, I think, a pretty good job of identifying really talented perimeter skill. The offensive line is a bit of a question mark, and I feel like it usually has been. But you know they're going to have great weapons. Tyrese Chambers is a guy I'm very, very excited about. I'm excited about the West Virginia transfer, Caden Prather. These are guys that could step in day one and become immediate difference makers and replace some of the aforementioned potential and productivity at wide receiver. 
mentioned those two at wide receiver that are guys to watch, but I'm telling you, if you look at the defense, okay, never going to sit here and tell you that Maryland's the 85 Bears. I'm not. But they are really disruptive on the defensive side. The front seven's really athletic. Now I want this group to be more consistent. If they could become a little bit more consistent, this could be a group that could cause a lot of problems for the opponents that they faced this year. They have some twitch. They have an edge presence. They have athletic linebackers that can go sideline to sideline. And they're cover guys, as evidenced by you know a couple of guys that will be departing the program, a couple of perimeter guys. Both corners, I think, were excellent. Those will be significant voids. But inside out, this team is built pretty dang well on the defensive side of the football. So Maryland is going to probably step into that role yet again as a team that can spoil any single team Saturday, but also is probably going to have a little bit of inconsistency along the way as well. So I'm hoping for more of the former and less of the latter, but Maryland has been a roller coaster for quite some time, and they could very well be again in 2023. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Going out west to an eventual member of the Big Ten, that's the UCLA Bruins. They start spring practice here in just a little bit on April 4th. Now, gone is Dorian Thompson-Robinson. What does that mean for UCLA? It means that you lost a guy that started for about a decade. So that will be difficult to replace. However, you go out. You identify Colin Schley from Kent State, and you bring in one of the top quarterback prospects in the entire country in Dante Moore. They're going to be battling it out right now for quarterback one. What did you do last time you had a little bit of a hole at running back? You went out, you identified Zach Charbonnet in the transfer portal. You bring him to town and turn him into an NFL draft pick that's probably going to come off the board at some point in the second round. This time, you go out and you get Carson Steele. He was the ninth-ranked rusher in the entire country at Ball State. Now he comes in and should be a nice addition to this offense. Of course, the biggest question is going to be who is the quarterback. It's really what it all revolves around. This is an offense that is going to make sure that the quarterback is featured, not just in the passing game decision-making, but in the run game decision-making. It's an offense that is extremely, extremely difficult to defend. You might on one play have one play, uh, one side of the ball have one play, another side of the ball have a completely different play. It's up to the quarterback to make the correct decision 
based on what the defense does. I think that this is an offense that does require an awful lot of reps, but the good news is Schley has played an awful lot of football. He threw for over 2,000 yards and 13 touchdowns last year, added 500 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. But I think with the supporting cast he's going to have at UCLA, he could take his game to the next level. But he might not be the starting quarterback all season long because I've heard, you've heard, everyone's heard about how great Dante Moore is. Now, is he the second coming of Cam Newton? I, I don't know that. I'm just assuming that based on the potential, based on the tape, based on who you talk to, this is a guy that could potentially step in and be the guy day one. He was there at the Army All-American Bowl last year, proceeded to show off just how good he already was. Limited snaps in that game. Well, he threw for four touchdowns and won the game's MVP. So against quality competition, he fared quite well. Will he be able to transition immediately into QB1? We'll find out. But he's going to have to beat out a very experienced Schley to be able to get the job done. But UCLA, in what should be a really deep Pac-12, has some serious question marks relative to some of the other teams that would be in that middle tier of that 12-team league. Moving up north now to the Oregon Ducks. This is a team that we have not spent nearly enough time on relative to the success of last year and relative to what they bring back. You look at it. Bo Nix returns. Had the ankle injury. Was playing as well as anybody down the stretch last year. Had that ankle injury and just was not the same. And... We've already documented, whether it be prior to last season or this offseason. When you look at Oregon, it's a destination. They went out, and you can make a case. They went out and they got a Jeannie Cornelius, who was arguably the most highly regarded transfer prospect along the offensive line in the entire country. Now, is he going to be an immediate plug and play? And next thing you know, he's Panay Sewell. No, I think he's going to play inside. And one would assume that there is going to be a little bit of a learning curve from the FCS to the Power Five. But based on what everyone said about this young man, his athleticism, his determination, his ability to finish the, after the play, his upside, no one seems to think that he's going to be a, have a difficult time transitioning. But one team that, you know, one part of the team last year that might have had a little bit more in the tank was the defense. It's a group that Dan Lanning prides himself on playing great defense. That's where he's at. I mean, he, of course, played or he, of course, coached at Georgia. You can make a case it was the greatest defense in the history of college football, or at least among the most talented defenses in the history of college football. It took a little while. They had some ups and downs last year. And you look at some of the talent that they had, it's not like that group last year was void of talent, but they did have a few inconsistencies. Look, you look at the, the performance last year, 10-3, and 7-2 in the conference. It was actually pretty remarkable because after week one against Georgia, I think a lot of us were looking there saying, yeah, you know, are they going to be able to get things turned around? I think a lot of us wondered that. I think it could have been one of those moments where guys were jumping ship and saying, yeah, I'm not sure I want to be part of this Oregon program given just how badly we just got beat on national television. Our chances of chasing a championship are essentially gone. Let's just call it a day in red shirt. No, 
he kept the guys together and he kept them fighting and they got better and better and better and better. And if Bo Nix doesn't hurt his ankle, what is the final story for this Oregon team? I think a lot of us are wondering that, but sky's the limit, I think, for Oregon here in 2023. What's the pecking order out West? Told you already multiple times. I think SC's the class. I think Washington's right there. I think Oregon's right there. So any of those three, I'd feel real comfortable with. If you were a prognosticator, you pick any of those three to win the Pac-12, you won't find much pushback from me. Utah fans are going to say, what, what do you mean? We, we won the league two years in a row. I get that, but you have to replace a couple key pieces, a few more pieces than Washington, and a few more pieces than both Oregon and SC have to replace. So very bullish on the Ducks. I just wonder if they're going to be able to recreate the edge that was created last year, they were able to kind of fly through obscurity all the way through the rest of September and October before the pressure got reapplied in November and they did not answer that bell when it was rung. So like I said, might've been Bo Nix's injury, but either way, Oregon's a team to watch this spring because they could have a significant leap in year number two under Dan Lanning. All right, bold prediction then. And I'm going to actually change this to make it more encompassing. The Pac-12 will have a team in the college football playoff this year. I'm going to say no. And it's not because I don't like the Pac-12. I could actually make a fairly strong argument right now that the Pac-12 is maybe the most exciting league on paper going into 2023 look off the field question marks abound naturally as far as hey are they expanding are they losing all this other stuff but if you really look at it i mean think about the quarterbacks that are back in the league you have a reigning Heisman trophy winner you have a guy in michael Penix at washington who should have been there you have a guy if he doesn't get hurt in bo nicks that might have been there you have drew pine at arizona state assuming he gets the starting role He's in a very quarterback-friendly offense. We'll see what happens. You got Cam Rising, obviously, at Utah. You got potentially, if he wins the quarterback competition, DJ Uwe Ungalale at Oregon State. I mean, you look across, you got Jaden DeLara at Arizona. We're talking about real depth at the quarterback position. And if you really look across the board, tell me a league that's deeper right now than the Pac-12. I didn't even mention Shador Sanders in, in Colorado. I'm not saying that they're going to be a playoff hunt, but could they beat a playoff contender? Maybe. Could they make it interesting? I didn't mention Cam Ward and Washington State. Now, are they going to be in the playoff hunt? Probably not. But could they beat a playoff contender in Pullman? Maybe midway or late in the season? I just think there's too much parity in the Pac-12. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing when consuming the product. But if you're trying to have a playoff horse that the whole conference needs to ride, it's difficult for me at this point to figure out who that team is. Now, SC's the leader in the clubhouse. No denying that. They were a game away from doing it last year. But as you could see, they fell flat on the biggest possible stage. And there were games earlier in the season where SC wasn't playing quite as well, a la Oregon State. They survived, but they were very gettable on that particular night. So it'll be interesting to watch with SC. I think they're going to do a great job of replenishing some of their losses and probably do a great job of ultimately winning a lot of games. But will the Pac-12 make a team, put a team in the playoff this year? If I had to bet right now, $100, 
I would bet no, as opposed to yes. Let's go back to the Big Ten, where we take a look at the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Now, this was a team that I liked a lot going into last year. thought they could be problematic. thought they brought back a lot of veteran players that had played a lot of minutes and had played a lot of games, being led, obviously, by their quarterback at the time, Tanner Morgan. But that all went sideways because they just could not create enough offense consistently. They struggled at times even putting any points on the board, and it was especially noticeable in the games where Mo Ibrahim was not at 100% or when they were limiting his touches. You look at this team, they just could not create consistent offense through the air. They could not balance out the passing attack. You heard about some of the potential that they had at tight end. You heard about some of the potential that they had at wide receiver. But it was really inconsistent. And they did have a young quarterback. So let's just keep things in perspective. Here's the big question mark as it relates to Minnesota. We all saw what the offense looked like without Mo Ibrahim last year. What's it going to look like this year when he's not there all the time? All right. Trey Potts and Bryce Williams are probably going to step into that role. But as we learned last year, that gap between Ibrahim and everybody else was fairly significant. You also lose one of the best centers in the entire country. How will you replace him? That'll be a tough thing, I think, for the Gopher fans to wrap their head around. We'll be breaking in a quarterback with a lot more experience. Now, I know Ethan Kaliak-Manis had tons of time last year to be able to get comfortable within the offense, but here's hoping that he can continue to take the next step. And remember, it's hard to play quarterback by yourself. It's almost impossible, I might add. I would like to see more consistent play from all wide receivers. Too many drops, too many inconsistencies with route depths, too many guys that are not being trustworthy enough for a young quarterback. So hopefully they'll be able to take the next step together as a passing attack heading into the summertime. One guy to keep in mind, a transfer from Western Michigan that they are very excited about. Sean Tyler did a really nice job last year for the Western Michigan Broncos. Could he potentially disrupt the rhythm of that quarterback or that running back derby. Like I referenced Trey Potts and Bryce Williams are probably going to be the first two, but how much does Sean Tyler get after transferring over from WMU? Went for over a thousand yards last year and seven touchdowns. So one would assume he's not leaving that situation unless there've been some promises about his playing time for the Gophers. Finally, a team that is in big time bounce back mode, the Michigan State Spartans. Think about where they were. Think about where they were just a couple years ago. We're talking about a team that won 11 games, a Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl victory, falling all the way to just five wins last year. Few issues, right? We all wondered what would the offense look like without Kenneth Walker? Well, our concerns were not just highlighted, but they were accentuated, man. They finished 12th in the Big Ten in rushing offense. Bigger issues throughout the entire time is they really couldn't create any movement at the point of attack. Jalen Berger, the team's leading running back, Elijah Collins, and Jarek Broussard have all moved on. So you look at where they're at. Jalen Berger's really the only guy that's back with any semblance of experience. So that's something that they're going to have to figure out. Offensive coordinator Jay Johnson's be like, hey, Berger's going to be our guy. There's nothing wrong with that, but we got to give him opportunities to make plays. And 
where did Peyton Thorne go? Sitting last year, going into the season, we're all wondering, hey, Peyton Thorne has a chance to really take the next step. He had a solid year in 2021. Thought he might be able to build on that, but he had a bit of a sophomore slump as a second-year starter. Threw for 3,200 yards and a program record 27 touchdown passes a couple years ago, but that just wasn't the way they were getting it done last year. The good news is, hopefully, the run game will be a little bit better. We'll take some of the pressure off of Thorne's shoulders. You have an emerging wide receiver that could become a star in Keon Coleman, and you look at some of the other guys that they brought in via the transfer portal. Nate Carter's a transfer from UConn that they're very excited about. Had 983 career yards and three touchdowns for the Huskies, but played in only four games last year because of a shoulder injury. So it does appear, Mel Tucker, remember, he went to the transfer portal a couple of years ago, had tons of success. Went to the transfer portal last year, very little success. Going back to the transfer portal again this year, hoping to replicate the results of 2021 as opposed to 2022. But the guys are there. There are players on this roster. They are not void of talent, but they need to identify some playmakers offensively to help take the pressure off the passing game and to try to help up front to create more surge in the run game that they just couldn't consistently create a year ago. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. As always, we continue on with our mailbag, and we so appreciate the questions that you've submitted so far. Always college football at gmail.com. You can also submit questions at always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. So we're stockpiling those questions. We're getting to them as quickly as we can. So we appreciate those. Send them in, and I promise we'll get to those at a later point. Coobs, what do we have today? All right. First one comes from Alan in California. Asks, what's the future of Cal and Stanford in football? Each of those teams have won a total of 10 games in the last three years. We know USC and UCLA are leaving, and a lot of uncertainty surrounds the rest of the conference with some teams being mentioned for other leagues, but not Stanford or Cal. One thing about Stanford and Cal, I think COVID year hurt them more than it hurt just about anyone else. I think it really hindered their ability to develop. And these are two programs that have relied heavily on developmental players, guys that come in as, say, three stars and developed like crazy in the program, and they come out much better. When they basic, no one had more strict regulations on when you could practice, where you could practice, how you could practice, and all these other things than both Stanford and Cal. So it was difficult, and I think it has certainly hurt the program with the quality that they've put on the field or lack thereof the last couple of years. Let's start with Cal. Cal went 8-5 and five in 2019. That was by far the high watermark for Justin Wilcox, and it's been all downhill ever since. Now, they get this point. It's win or go home. I mean, he's got to show some improvement 
this year. And if he doesn't, then this could finally, this could be his final year at Cal. When you look at Stanford, they just started over. You have a long tenured head coach, David Shaw, for a very, very long time. They decided to press the reset button, realizing that things were just not going the way they need to go. So they go bring in coach Troy Taylor, who at Sacramento State took a team that went 2-8 and eight overall, 0-7 in the big sky in 2018, and they lost just one conference game over the next three years. Of course, they did not play in 2020. Now, replicating that turnaround won't be easy at the Power 5 level, but either way, I think both Cal and Stanford are in the background of the Pac-12. They're not teams that are going to focus very much on NIL. They're not teams that are going to focus very much on the transfer portal. It's difficult to get into school. They are tremendous academic institutions, but I'm not sure they're committed to winning. That's a real question. I don't know if they are. I'm not sure if that's a priority. I'm not sure if they care about it whatsoever. So if you're not committed to winning, I think that trickles down to the recruits and you become a less desirable destination when being evaluated amongst a pool of other schools that appear at this point to be more committed. All right. That leads nicely into the next question from Steve in Georgia. What does Georgia Tech have to do to become a player in the ACC? Georgia is one of the most fertile recruiting spots in the country. It feels like Tech can get talent to come to Atlanta and play pretty easily. What is holding them back? Well, I think similar to the aforementioned schools in Georgia, I mean, Georgia Tech has some academic restrictions. Now, the interesting thing about Georgia Tech is it's easier to get in. It's harder to stay in. It's a very difficult school because of the amount of math that you have to take. It's required, I believe, for almost every degree. So it is a heavy lift, I think, when you're on the recruiting trail, recruiting against schools that don't have academic regulations whatsoever. But if you look at last year, Brent Key, of course, had the interim tag removed. He was doing a pretty dang good job down the stretch. They finished four and four. Now, was that progress or was that just because the guys were getting a slight rise after they decided to let go of Jeff Collins? I'm not sure anyone really knows the answer to that, but there's a lot of aspects of Georgia Tech's resurgence that could be beneficial. We know that you're in Atlanta. We know that you have access to a tremendous amount of talent. The problem is Georgia's also in Atlanta and Georgia is the top dog, no pun intended, in college football right now. So if you got to beat the best team in college football in your own backyard, that's going to prove to be incredibly difficult. The good news that Brett Key can present, he could say, hey, I played here. Hey, I lived it. I know what it was like. I've been here as a coach. I've been here as a player. I've seen this place at its highs. I've seen this place at its lows. But I think it's going to be really intri- interesting for them to be able to brand themselves and differentiate themselves from Georgia, from other places in the Southeast. You can't and you don't want to go down the path of Vanderbilt and just preach, hey, check out our academics. Let's do this. Check out our academics. You need to make sure that you can both live in a world where you're promoting academics, but you're also promoting athletics as well. So I am cautiously optimistic that Brett Key has the right recipe because he lived it and he'll be able to create accountability on his own roster because he's walked in each and every one of those guys' shoes, but it won't be easy. And if the expectation level is to be on the same level as some of the other teams in the SEC or in the ACC, 
I think that's a really difficult expectation. I think six, seven, eight wins would be on the high side as of right now. But hey, I've been surprised before, and we've been surprised by Georgia Tech before as well. All right, final thought here. John Summerall, after what was an incredible year in his first year coaching the Troy Trojans, leading them to a Sunbelt Conference Championship and a national ranking in his debut season, 12-2. and two. Overall, they won their final 11 games, second only to national champion Georgia, who, of course, ran the table last year. But if you look at some of the wins along the way, Yes, you lose to Ole Miss. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. But either way, man, I mean, they did a remarkable job. A remarkable job in doing what John Summerall does best. He's a defensive mind, defensive coordinator, defensive guy. Well, he held all 14 of his opponents under their season average in scoring. And they, of course, beat Coastal Carolina significantly, 45-26, in the Sunbelt Championship game. So he was rewarded with a four-year contract extension. He's going to be on everyone's list if he has a great year again, though. I would think, hey, one, two, maybe three years, he continues to perform at a really high level. Guess what? Power 5 programs will be calling and probably calling sooner than you think. Thanks for being with us today. It's been awesome to continue to preview some of these spring seasons for all of these teams. And we have so many different storylines that we've been able to hit. We've just set the table. Now it's time to start looking back and revisiting, all right, what's been going on during spring? What have we missed? Have you been keeping an eye on everything that's happened, everything that's changed, everything that could change, some of the competitions, a lot that still needs to be ironed out when it comes to spring here over the next several weeks. So keep it locked in here. It never, ever goes into off-season mode here. Never. It's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.